the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we're delighted to have Carol on today. She has a master's degree in social gerontology, more than 25 years experience in the field of aging. She's a nationally recognized gerontologist, named one of the nation's top 50 influencers in aging by Next Avenue, and is the past chair of the board of directors for the National Council on Aging. Carol is executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. And Carol, we've got a really neat guest coming on in just a moment, uh, an award-winning broadcaster who pointed out when we talked off the air, it's tougher to answer questions than ask them. And so that's an adjustment for him. And we're going to talk about his story of not only suddenly becoming a caregiver for an aging mom, but what that was like. And Carol, yeah. you've had a lot of those experiences yourself. Well, you know, all of us, that, that is life, right? We, we're, uh, we're professionals and we're doing one thing and all of a sudden uh, caregiving enters our life and, and how wonderful it is when we can apply our work and our passion to the unique experience of caregiving. Well, Dave Iverson, who is joining us as a writer, documentary film producer and director, a retired broadcast journalist, when he was 59 years young, moved in with his 95-year-old mom, and he will tell us about that experience. She lived to 105 years of age, which isn't bad. He has won many awards, including the frontline film, My Father, My Brother, and Me, looking at his family saga. He also was uh, tied into the Michael J. Fox Foundation's Patient Council, dealing with Parkinson's disease. And Dave Iverson, uh, it is a pleasure having you join us. Thanks so much, Ron and Carol. It's a pleasure to be with you both. So 59 years old, you become a caregiver. What was that like? <laughs> well, you know, I was um, a broadcast journalist at the time, hosting a, a radio show and doing documentary film, as you mentioned. But my mom and I had always been very close. Um, and I felt like, well, my life is full, but it's also really quite flexible. I'm at a point in my career where I have some flexibility and my mom had been a wonderful caregiver for my late father during, during the late stages of his Parkinson's disease. And I just felt like, well, this is something I can do. Um, and so I did. And honestly, I did not give it a great deal more thought than that, which, of course, was the height of naivete. Uh, but there is some value in that, in a way, because sometimes you, if, if I'd known everything that was going to happen, including the fact that my mom would live another 10 years, I might not have been so willing, and I'm, I'm glad I made that choice, though, of course, I was horribly naive, um, had no idea really what I was in for on a lot of levels. 
the challenges that I would face, but also the rewards that I that I experience. So um, it is something I'm I'm grateful for in, in many many ways. Even though it was certainly probably the most challenging personal experience in my life. What, what were some of the challenges that you never anticipated? Well, some of them are practical. You know, when you're when you're a, a caregiver, you're kind of exhausted a lot of the time. Um, you you wake up, you have to get up in the middle of the night to help the person you're caring for get to the bathroom on time, that kind of thing. And so, you know, it's one thing to be awakened frequently when you're the parent of a newborn, but as you're approaching sixty, it's a little bit more challenging to deal with with that. So there are practical things like that. But also for me, I would say, I'm someone who likes being in charge. And as any caregiver knows, when you're a caregiver, you're really not in charge very much. I would, I would sometimes say it's a bit like um, driving in a car without your seatbelt on as you're careening downhill and someone else is grabbing at the wheel. You know, it's, you're, you're not really in charge because things change. You can make wonderful plans, but then those plans go awry. And, and so you have to constantly adjust and be nimble. That was challenging for me. And I'd say the other thing, the thing that I probably learned the most is I'm someone who likes to be right. And um, not only that, I, I have a, too much of a tendency to let other people know that, that I'm right, and, and here's why I'm right. Um, and if you're caring for someone who's becoming cognitively more challenged and whose dementia is progressing, being right isn't very useful. It's not very helpful at all. Um, and I think one of the biggest things for me to learn was to get over that and to be with my mom and to be present to her in a way that wasn't focused on my being correcting or reminding, but on being present to her and to, and to really understand who she was, not necessarily who she had once been or who I might want her to be. So all of those things were challenges. So when did what, that, go ahead, Carol. I, I, I just wanted to hear a little bit about what what changed when you started seeing her? This is her now, yeah. and I'm willing to let go of me a little bit to let her be her. What changed? Great question. Um, I'd say two things. One was just time. You know, I got smarter over time as to what it took to be a caregiver. I got smarter in part because I was accompanied by wonderful women caregivers who helped me so that I could continue to work. I had a great advantage over many family caregivers in the sense that I left the house at eight o'clock in the morning and came back at five or six o'clock at night after my work day. Then I took over at night and on the weekend. Um, most family caregivers, lots of family caregivers don't have that advantage. So I had, I had that going for me. But what I really had going for me was I could, I could learn from these wonderful women caregivers who assisted me. Um, all immigrant Americans, by the way, all women of color, all women who, for whom English was a second or third language, they taught me an astonishing amount about, about how to be present to someone, how to be tender with someone, even when they might be cranky, even when they're forgetful, even when they don't want to be assisted. Um, so I learned a lot um, from them. And, and that, I think, made, a, made an enormous difference. And it was also, Carol, that sometimes while my mom could be confused, she could also say astonishingly perceptive things. Let me give you an example. One morning, uh, in her 101st year, I walked into the kitchen one morning. And by this time, her dementia was progressing. I knew it, caregivers knew it, but I didn't realize my mom really knew it too. And she looked up at me that morning and said, you know, David, I think there are two Adelaides. There's the good Adelaide, that was my mom's name. There's the good Adelaide, the one who's 
pretty and smart and knows how to do things. And there's the bad Adelaide, the one who's ugly and stupid and can't do anything. And I'm not sure which one is here right now, but I think it's the bad Adelaide. That's pretty powerful. It's Um, really, and it was powerful to me in the moment. And I remember just standing there and closing my eyes and thinking, well, here, here we are. But I think the other thing, Ron and Carol, about that is that it shows that she had just described what was happening to her with searing precision. You know, I can't imagine really a better description of what she must have been feeling at that time than how she described it. And part of what I learned was that confusion and and um, being quite precise and poetic can sometimes happen side by side. And so part of it is learning to be present to that person and sometimes to hear the truth beneath the words. So if she was confused and thought sometimes I was her husband, which she did, to really try to understand, well, what is she feeling right now? She's probably feeling that she misses my dad, even though she can't remember his name, you know, and to try to be present to that rather than saying, correcting all the time or or saying, don't you remember this or or that? So it was all of that, I think, that helped get me to to a better place. We'll continue the conversation in a moment, but let me tell folks who may have just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we're talking with Dave Iverson, winter stars, an elderly mother, and aging in life's final journey. We're talking about the memoir that he has put together in honor of his mom. Dave has spent a lot of years in broadcasting, was a special correspondent to the PBS NewsHour, hosted local PBS and NPR programs for 35 years at Wisconsin Public Broadcasting, and at one of those uh, legacy stations, KQED in San Francisco. And Dave, were you journaling during this period uh, when you were caring for your mom? So you were able to capture all of this. Yeah, it, it you know, I kept a journal run most of my adult life. Um, so it wasn't new to me, but I did it with more consistency during that time. I think because so much was happening and, and I was often so kind of bewildered and perplexed by my experience and probably for you both and for many people, Writing is sometimes a way to kind of figure things out. And so it was really that was its purpose. It wasn't like I was keeping notes because someday I thought I would write a book. That never occurred to me. Um, But it was enormously helpful when I decided that I did want to write something, which is something I began to think a lot during the last year or so of my mom's life, um, because I did have some, some record of different moments Things like the story I just told you, the story about um, my mom saying that she, that she thought there were two Adelaides. And so being able to capture some of that and remember some of that spe- specificity was enormously helpful when I, when I did start writing. I would imagine it helped you with the stress and anxiety as well, being able to write yeah. it down. Yeah, I think stress and anxiety is something that all caregivers contend with. And while we often say, well, you know, you can't, uh, you can't take care of someone else unless you take care of yourself. That's true in our ideal. But the truth is, well, actually, that happens all the time. Caregivers have to take care of their person that they're caring for, even if that is, means they can't take care of themselves, because they have to. So finding ways when you can um, that are stress reducing, whether that's writing in their journal or going out for a run, are, are hugely important. Yeah, what I, what I loved about your story, um, as well as your, your observations were, 
the the learning experience that you went through, whether it was the other caregivers, and sometimes you know, relationships are complicated in a, in a a caregiver who's not family may be able to have a different perspective and show uh, emotions that are difficult for you. So I, I really like that. But the willingness to be open to learning in a difficult situation is a reward of caregiving, if you can get there. I think that's, I think that's right, Carol. And, and to some extent, um, a willingness to own up to your mistakes, to be to realize that you may have just blown it um, and to, and to also accept that it can be frustrating and to accept, you know, if you told me I was going to get angry at this person who I had a deep and lasting love for uh, and blow up at her as happened, I wouldn't have believed it, but I did. Um, And I've had so many caregivers tell me since I wrote the book, thank you for saying that. Hold that thought there too. We're going to come right back to you. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. We're talking with Dave Iverson, his first book, Winter Stars, and we'll tell you how to get a hold of it in just a little bit. Our co-host, Carol Zernel, is with us. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us and stay with us on Caregiver SOS on air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. Thank you for sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we're talking on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline with Dave Iverson, talking about his book, Winter Stars, An Elderly Mother, and Aging, and Life's Final Journey. And we're talking with him about the challenges of caregiving. And I don't want to dwell on it, but I want to come back for a moment, Dave, to something you had said, and that's talking about anger, which certainly surprised you that you could never believe that you would get angry at the mother you loved and you were caring for. Yeah, thank you, Ron. It's an important topic because I think it's something so many caregivers experience and then feel great regret and guilt for experiencing that anger as I did, and yet it would still happen again. So I think it is something we just have to recognize that can come with the territory. But I think I remember one time when I was so upset with my mom and I actually drove her home from a family gathering at my aunt's house because I was so frustrated with how she was acting that day. And I marched her into her bedroom uh, and she stood by uh, her bedside for a moment and then she collapsed onto her bed and said, and just kind of wailed out, I hate myself. And I didn't feel anything other than sort of a cold sense of like, well, good. I'm glad you see how you've been acting, you know, sort of like you would have to a to a, a bratty kid that was now repentant. But what I didn't understand, and it took me a while to understand, was that when she said she hated herself, I think she meant it. She hated who she was becoming. She had an awareness that she wasn't acting that great was frustrated that she could no longer be this incredibly active, vibrant, engaged human being. 
And I think sometimes it's helpful for us as caregivers to realize that when someone may be acting off or, you know, confrontational or frustrated, it may be because they're longing for who they once were. And so rather than get get angry, if we can hear that, I think that could be helpful. But I do think contending with anger is something that all, all caregivers experience, and it's important to acknowledge. You know, Carol, one of the things I've heard you say often is, remember, it's the disease, not the person who's acting that way. That's right. And it's easy to say, but it's so helpful if you can focus your anger at the disease um, and continue the, the positive relationship you have with the person. It's impossible to do that all the time. Such a good, such a good point, though. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious, Dave, if, um, about the beautiful title uh, of your book, Winter Stars, uh, An Elderly Mother, and Aging Son, and Life's Final Journey. Can you talk about what, did, what do you mean by that, the winter stars? Yeah, it, it comes from something that happened the last Christmas that I, my mom and I spent together. At this point, she was well past 104 on her way to 105. And she was quite confused and agitated uh, during that final year or two. But on this particular Christmas uh, night, um, she was quite calm. And we had this kind of very lovely moment when we were sitting together. And um, we just sat together, my hand on top of hers. And after a while, my mom looked up at me and she said with more clarity than anything she'd said in a long time, I feel lucky. And I said, well, I feel lucky too, mom, for all you have meant to me, all we have been together through. And I'll always remember that and all that you've given me. And then she said it again. She said, I feel lucky. And so I asked her if she could tell me why. And she looked at me with eyes as bright as winter stars Hmm. and said, because there's love all around. And, you know, there've been plenty of times during our time together when I wasn't so sure love was always all around. But in that moment, I knew I knew she was right. And I knew that we had weathered all of our storms and we'd come through that journey together um, and that it had brought me to the bedside of someone I love. So I could hear that great truth that there really is love all around. So that's, you- that's where the title comes from. Were you with her when she died? I was. I was. I was very fortunate to to be there. Um, I didn't hear her last words, which actually happened shortly before I got back to the house. Um, but I was there for the next three days until she she passed. And um, during that time, I asked one of our principal caregivers, who were remarkable women, and if we have time, maybe we can talk about them a bit more. Sure. But I, I finally, I said to Eileen, Eileen Kahn was her name, Eileen, what, what was the last thing Adelaide said to you? And she said, well, you know, David, she said, I want to go. And Eileen said, I thought to myself, goodness, is, is Adelaide ready to leave this light, life behind? And so I said to her, Adelaide, where do you want to go? And my mom said, downtown, <laughs> which, which was, exactly, was actually perfect. I mean, 
I love the fact that her last words were, I want to go downtown. Do a little shopping. (laughs) Oh, no, not shopping for my mom. It would have been, you know, she was a huge community volunteer. She registered. She tutored at the county jail. She helped women (laughs) get the GED. She wanted to be back in action, you know, if not in community action, then cheering passionately at a Stanford football game because she was a huge fan. So she, she, she had stuff to do. And and I think that's part of what was so hard for her the last years of her life. But I love that. I'll always love that. Her last. It's so perfect in the movies. It would have been, I want to go and, and, and pass away. And that'd be that. No, ready to go. Ready to go downtown, downtown. That is so, I love that. Well, you mentioned Eileen, you mentioned the caregivers. Right. Yeah. Um, that are, you know, that worked with you. So you talk a little bit about uh, the, the people that helped you, what that means. Yeah, I was so fortunate. And so many people have had this experience. I don't know what it's like in, in San Antonio, but um, in the, in the, in the San Francisco Bay Area and in the South Bay, where my mom lives in Menlo Park, the professional caregiving community is largely dominated by Pacific Islander Americans. And so the principal caregivers I had were often Tongan American or, or a Fijian American. Um, although I had um, several others from, from other nationalities originally too, but they were so remarkable and they worked so hard. I think one thing that people often don't understand is that many of these women had to have two jobs. They cared for my mom, but they also often cared for someone else because often caregivers don't make very much money. Now they do better in the Bay Area than in many places, but according to the Brookings Institution in 2019, the average wage for home health care workers in this country was 12 bucks an hour. Wow. Well, that's not a living wage. No. So it was in my it was the first time I had people who became close friends, really in so many ways, family to me, who had often had to work two jobs or would sleep on the floor someplace before they came to help us. It was a huge learning experience for me. And they have such skill and such compassion. And we just do not honor them, in my opinion, enough in this country. We don't recognize them. And we need to do much better than that. Because as you both know, someone turns 65 in this country every eight seconds. That means by the time we're done with this half hour conversation, there'll be another 350 65 year olds in this country than there were when we started. There'll be 16,000 more by this time tomorrow. We've got to get ready for this elder care crisis that we are facing. And the women who help provide an enormous benefit, an enormous skill. So yes, we need skilled immigrants in this country, but it's not just immigrants with technological skills, it's with caregiving skills. And I hope that we can learn that, recognize that. I hope my book will be a bit of a conversation starter so that we begin to honor those people too. Well, we certainly we certainly hope so as well. And with the COVID and the people leaving the workforce, people leaving direct caregiving, um, you speak so eloquently of your mother and you want the best people to care for our loved ones we treasure and we don't pay them the value of the work and the value of the people they're caring for. So well said, Carol. That's absolutely right. We all want, what do, what do you, what do the three of us want if we come to that time? We want skilled, loving care. And that shouldn't just be because you are fortunate enough, as I was, to have the resources to provide that. That should be something that 
that comes not by good fortune or good luck, but by part of being the kind of country I think we can become. Well, it's endemic in this country. We undervalue and underpay kindergarten teachers as well. Similar issue. Absolutely, Ron. I mean, Ajahn Poo, the head of the Domestic Care Workers Alliance, has this wonderful phrase because they, rep, they work for both child care providers and home health older care providers. And she says, care is the work that all other work depends on. And, and when you think about that, for both child care and care of older people, it's really true. People in middle age couldn't get by or young age sometimes without those care, those care workers. And we need to, to honor them appropriately. We've got about two minutes left. And for those who are are listening, Dave, what will they find in your book, Winter Stars? What what is it they will find there? Well, it's really just a story. It's a story about my mom and me and the wonderful women that accompanied us and what we all experienced and learned along the way. It's not a how-to book, though I do think there's helpful and useful information for caregivers in it. But what I really hope is that it's a story that rings true to people, that rings true to prospective caregivers and caregivers who are currently experiencing that so that we can learn from each other and be connected. You know, there are 53 million family caregivers in this country, and yet we so often feel alone. So I hope this book will will bring them, uh, bring people together in that way. And if I could just add one last thing, the, the royalties from this book will go to three wonderful organizations, the Michael J. Fox Foundation, Dance for Parkinson's, and a local elder care group in the San Francisco Bay Area. So hopefully when you buy the book, you're also supporting them. And the book's available. I know I Googled it on Amazon. Amazon and any local bookstore can, can if they don't have it in stock, they can get it for you. Well, really appreciate you coming on, Dave Iverson, and uh, it's a fabulous story, Winter Stars, and uh, I look forward to reading the book. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both, Ron and Carol, and thank you for, the, for doing this series and the good work you're both engaged in. For Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you to Dave Iverson. I'm Ron Aaron. We will talk with you soon right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.